morning. morning. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Nice to see your smiling faces, especially those of you who volunteered at VBS this last week. I got to drop in on a couple of the morning sessions, and it was just as wild and chaotic as it appeared in that video. It was crazy. So congratulations if you are alive still and that you're here, you're still showing up. That is wonderful. And we are so appreciative of everything you, you poured into last week. I know it was exhausting, but I was so touched by just being able to experience that a little bit um, last week. Before I launch into stuff, I want to greet the traditional service. Hello, if you're listening um, over there. And then also, if you're listening at home, hello. <laughs> Glad you're listening. All right. And also, before we launch into things, um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some ushers who will come around and give you a Bible that you can borrow for the service. Just raise up your hand, they'll bring it to you, and when you're done with that Bible, just set it on the back tables as you exit. That'd be great. Also, right now, you can pull out your phones, or if you, if you have a Bible with you, um, we're going to be in Genesis 18 and 19 today. So go ahead and pull that out on your, on your apps or whatever. We're not going to judge you and think that you're texting or checking Facebook. Even if you are, we won't know. Well, I wanted to introduce myself. Um, again, my name's Grace. I have a few different connections here. I'm very grateful that I was invited to, to speak here by your lead pastor, Pastor Steve. Um, he was one of my former professors in seminary, so it's just great to be able to know him. And actually, also, my husband and daughter, which I have a picture of them somewhere. I think they're on the same slide. Ooh, the anticipation. What is it going to be? Whoa! <laughs> There's my daughter, Sayla, on the left. That was her right before we launched into a long drive to North Carolina a couple weeks ago. She was looking real chill and excited. That did not last for more than like three minutes in the 20-hour drive. So that was intense. There's Sayla. That's Jesse on the right. Back off, ladies. I know. It's pretty impressive. I took a picture of him because he did not think that that was weird, what he was wearing. He, those black socks. Black socks with the shoes, like those weird little dainty shoes, and like the, the shorts and plaid. He's a bird watcher. He's a huge bird nerd. So if you are also a bird nerd, you can talk to Jesse about that. It's just a point of conversation if you need one. I love that man. He is wonderful. Um, never thought I'd be married to Ginger Jesus. There he is. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. So say hi to him or Sayla. They were in the earlier service, so you won't see them after this service, but... If you ever see us, we've been coming here on and off. We also, um, we're not exactly sure yet where we're supposed to land. We were living in Phoenix. I'm a pastor. Um, I was on staff at a church down there. And since having our daughter, we decided to move home. We're both from here. So that's why we came back last year. And actually, we, little fact for you, I live with your lead pastor in his basement. So Amy and Steve, we're so grateful for them for many reasons. Um, but it's been so fun living with the Turnbulls and getting to know them, and they are very weird and strange. <laughs> I was so intimidated by Steve in seminary, but now that I live with him, I am way less intimidated by him, <laughs> if that makes any sense. But So be kind to your professors, your teachers, your leaders. You never know when you need to ask them if you can live in their basement. <laughs> All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you are love. You are it. You are the love that we are looking for. You are love. You are not just any kind of love. You are the love that our hearts were born to yearn for. 
and that our hearts were born out of. So bless us now with your presence of love. You already have been. I pray that that rises up this morning in the person of Jesus who epitomizes that love, the kind of love that you are. Just be with us, Lord, as we wrestle with this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys have been able to be a part of this series on the ancestry of God's people, our great ancestors, it's been an awesome series. It's been a weird series. There's been a lot of very interesting things being shared about, if you've been, been able to listen to that. And if you haven't, I encourage you to check back on some of the videos. You can even, even if you listen to a few minutes of each one, you'll get something interesting out of it. But we're just following the story of, of God's people starting in Genesis 12, moving through all of Genesis. And there are some messed up things that we're learning about in there, about Abraham and, um, and his whole family and the extended family of God, and learning about the covenant that God makes with Abraham and how that covenant is not on us, it's on God. That's the good news. Last week we heard from Pastor Angie about the story of Hagar, which is a very interesting, very challenging story to read. And we learned there how God was so willing, so ready to help Hagar, to, to save her, to help redeem that situation that got really messy really quickly. So today is no different. I'm going to continue in this pattern of very strange, messed up stories. We are going to be reading about Sodom and Gomorrah this morning. <laughs> I bet in your entire life you never thought that a pregnant woman would be sharing to you about Sodom and Gomorrah. So you can check that off your list. That's, that's a big deal. Just a quick setup. Lots is happening in this story. Some people might think this story just kind of appears out of nowhere in Scripture. Kind of, it was maybe a familiar story if, you're, if you've been a part of a church growing up, if you consider yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus. You've probably heard mention of this. Not sure if you've ever read it before directly, like straight through. A lot of people kind of isolate this passage and think that it's just its own thing that just suddenly happens. But if we actually look at what's been happening in Genesis, we find out that there's a lot more to this story. So really quickly, just some of the background of that is we've been following the story of Abraham, and we learn about this person named Lot. And we find out that Lot is Abraham's nephew. So Lot is like one of the key characters in the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And we, we need to know that he's Abraham's nephew and that they have this history together. And starting in chapter 13, we, we learn about their relationship. And Lot actually was sent with Abraham, tagged along with Abraham when God said, I want you to leave your father's household and go. I'm going to send you off into an unknown place. We know that Lot and all of his possessions went with Abraham. And there's like hundreds of people traveling together. Lot is included in this. So at some point in chapter 13, we realize that there's an issue here. There's too many people, Lot's family and herdsmen and everything he owns and Abraham's stuff, too much living together in this land. There's not enough room for them. It also says that their herdsmen are arguing, Lot and Abraham's herdsmen. So Abraham comes to Lot and he's like, Lot, I don't want to have any issues with you. We should have no strife between us. We're brothers, even though he's Abraham's nephew. It's just a endearing phrase that they use. They consider themselves that close as family. He's like, I don't want to have this conflict between my family member, so we need to separate ways. And he, he tells Lot, whatever you choose, I'll choose the opposite. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. A very gracious thing that Abraham is offering Lot. You choose first, and I'll take whatever's left over. So Lot, we find out, chooses to go to Sodom. Sodom is a town. 
Lot goes to Sodom, and we hear there, even in chapter 13, that Sodom's sins were exceedingly grave, and they were exceedingly wicked. So we hear this about Sodom. This, this place, in other words, has this infamous thing about them that people know. It's, it's something that everyone knows about the, this town, Sodom. Another town, Gomorrah, is very close by. And we see this story continue on. We don't hear much more about Lot until we pick up where we're going to pick up. And all this stuff has happened in Abraham and his family. Um, you guys can read about that. And it's an interesting thing, because Sodom and Gomorrah are two towns, a part of a five-village a five or town metropolis. So it's a big area in this valley, and these towns are kind of unique. They're all very lush and abundant, but specifically Sodom and Gomorrah. They're so bountiful. Archaeologists have found olive oil factories there that are well beyond what they would expect to find at that time period, really advanced. They found a variety of agriculture there, and they're really impressed with what was accomplished there by the people. They've also, they've also found a, ooh, exciting. What could these be? They've also found um, lots and lots of graves. So we know that, I mean, like tens of thousands of graves in this area. So we know, it's been confirmed that they're, they believe there were tens of thousands of people living in these towns. Okay, so that's Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we're going to pick up in chapters 18 and 19 of Genesis. I'm not going to read word for word everything here. You can kind of follow along. If you're using a Bible from, from here, it'll be page 24. If you're new to scripture, Genesis is the very first book, so it should, should be fairly easy to find. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. But I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of this. I want you to pay attention. So there's this whole context about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, Abraham's relative, who's been living there, who chose this place. Abraham was given a different choice by God. He asked God, where do you want me to go? And God said, the land of Canaan. So he lifts up his eyes, looks to the land of Canaan. So they're going in different directions. We have here in um, chapter 18 and 19, both of these stories are about two visits from the same people, a couple angels and the Lord, visit Abraham in one story and Lot in the other. Okay, so you have two visits to two different people for two completely different reasons. Chapter 18, Abraham's sitting by a tree. I'm going to paraphrase some of the first part of this. Abraham's hanging out, and it says, all of a sudden he looks up and these, these men appear. But he knows that it's the Lord. And we can kind of conclude about, with some other scripture that these are two angels with him. So he sees these, these people, and he's like all excited. He's totally stoked. He's like, oh, thank you for visiting me. You have favored me by coming here. And he gets up, it says, and he sprints, and he goes and finds Sarah, and he's like, he's like, get some bread ready for these people. Get some food ready. There's some guys outside. We have, we have company. So excited. And he tells the, the men, please stay. Will you honor me by staying and let me wash your feet? Let me feed you. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. So then he sprints off. He goes to the herd, and he finds the best calf, the most tender calf, and he, prepare, he has the servants prepare that and some other food. He presents all of this to his guests. This is very unusual for those of us who are not from um, places where this is a high value in our culture. This is not a high value in this culture here, to be this hospitable, to see a complete stranger and, and 
to basically stop everything you're doing and offer them everything you have. Okay, these parts of this scripture, you're going to see that happen again in chapter 19. And this is a beautiful act of ancient Eastern hospitality that, that both men are showing the visitors. So these men eat the Lord, these angels, they eat. They're eating. They, they're, then they come to give their message. They give their message to Abraham. Sarah's listening. And they say, they basically say, the Lord says, you guys are going to have a son about this time next year. You guys, if you've been listening to this series, you know this has been this ongoing promise that's, that's been happening, this promise of this, this son, Isaac. It wasn't Ishmael. It, Hagar, the thing that happened with Hagar, that was, was their, their attempt to try to make the promise happen sooner. Now the Lord's come and said, I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to do this. This is the part where Sarah laughs. She laughs, and even though that happens, God still says, that's all right. Nothing's too difficult for me. Nothing is too difficult for me. I'm kind of paraphrasing through him about now verse 16, 17 here. Then it says something interesting. God, it says God rises up, verses, verse 17. God gets up. He's like, okay, I've given my message to Abraham. Now should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? That's what it says right there. Do you think I should hide it from him? Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Because what I'm about to do is go check out Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, I don't know if I want to tell him because I've chosen him to be a blessing to all the nations and to be righteous. Do I want him to know about this horrible thing? God's debating. Then he just decides to tell him. Verse 20, God says, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin, again is this phrase, exceedingly grave. Exceedingly grave. It's terrible. He says, I will go down now and see if they've done entirely according to that outcry, which has come to me. Think about this for a second. God, who is holy, 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 only you are holy, no one else is, the holiest person is about to come as close to wickedness and evil as you can come. He can hear their outcry, he can feel it, he can see with his own eyes what's happening, yet he still says, but I want to go there and make sure that it's, really, that it's really true before I do anything. This is a shadow of the gospel. When God says, I'm bringing Jesus to you, close to you. He is unafraid of you and whatever stuff you have on you, in you. He is not afraid of it. God the Father is saying, I'm going to go myself and see for myself if these outcries are true. Remember that. God is looking for reasons to spare Sodom. That's what I believe. So this goes on. He does tell Abraham, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to go into this town because you know, you and I both know this place is crazy. So then he's talking to him. Abraham says, this is kind of a famous passage right here. Abraham has this interchange with God. He says, God, you're so great. You're so awesome. If there, were, if there were 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you save the whole city? And God's like, yeah. He's like, how about 45? Yes, God says. How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? God says, yes. If I found 10 righteous people, I would spare the whole place. I'd spare everyone. Hold on to that. 
So then God goes. Now we're picking up in chapter 19. Abraham's like content. He had his little visit with God. He's got his promise from God. Chapter 19, a second visit happens. It says the two angels go. And they go and they see Lot sitting in the gateway of the city. And Lot's like, oh my gosh, hi, you're here. You've come to visit us. And he does the same thing Abraham does. He gets all excited. He's like, please, please, please stay at my house. These angels weren't, it doesn't seem like they were going to originally stay at Lot's house. But Lot convinces them, come stay at my house, please. Because what happens in these cultures that are all about hospitality, if you have a guest in your house, you are like the envy of the neighborhood. I mean, people are like, oh, so jealous. He's got guests. Who are they? I don't know. Where are they from? I don't know. Isn't that cool? <laughs> so he's excited. He, he's preparing a feast for them, it says, in verse 3. And now I'm going to read. And I'm going to read some difficult things to hear here. So if you want to, like, check out right now, there's your chance. Just sprint out. But otherwise, the doors are locked. You can't leave. <laughs> verse 4. Super weird and creepy. Sorry. Verse 4, it says, before they laid down, like before the, they were going to go to sleep, so these men are now in Lot's home, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. All the people from every quarter. That could include women. And they called to Lot and they said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight, who are staying with you? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, please, please, my brothers, don't do this wicked thing. He's saying to all the men of the town. He's like, oh, behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. This is also a practice of ancient Eastern hospitality. You protect your guests at all costs even at the expense of family members who are low on the totem pole, which would be women at this time. This is actually a standard custom to protect your guests. However, this is wicked. This is wicked if you haven't caught that yet. Hopefully I didn't have to tell you that. Then they said, stand aside. Then these two angels finally intervene and they're like, okay, these guys are crazy. We're going to shut the door. We're going to blind them because there are, I mean, thousands of people trying to get into this house. So they shut the door, they, these angels like overpower these men, blind them. And then it goes on to say that, that basically these angels say to Lot, you've got to get out of here. We're going to spare you, not because you're righteous. It doesn't actually say that. I believe that's what's happening here. I don't think Lot was righteous. It says that God spared Lot because of Abraham, because of his mercy. So they, they say, you've got to get out of here. And Lot hesitates. Eventually, he goes. The angels, it says, literally grab his hand, him by the hand and his wife and his daughters by the hand. And they take them out of the city. And eventually, this passage ends with this terrible picture of God sending fire and brimstone on all of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says the smoke you could see for miles away. And then Lot in his cave with his daughters. And eventually, his daughters asleep with their dad. And each of them bear a, a, ch a son who eventually lead the tribes of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Very interesting. Two of the biggest enemies of Israel. Okay, so raise your hand if you're disturbed. 
I'll take your, your word for it. If you couldn't raise your hand, I get it. Yikes. Okay, these passages are very, very difficult to read. Very difficult to hear projected through a microphone, right? I, that's how I feel anyway. They can be disturbing and confusing for many reasons. When we look at a passage like this, we have to let what we do know interpret what we don't know. We have to let the clear text of Scripture, this is something my dad, who's a pastor, always, always taught us, let the clear text of Scripture interpret the confusing text. There's a lot of confusing things in the Bible, and it is okay to wrestle with them. I am not going to give you some black and white answer to this story, but I'm going to present some things to you that we can wrestle with. I want to I read to you a couple things that other parts of Scripture say about this story. We know in Genesis 13, it already mentions Sodom, telling us this place is evil and wicked. Everyone knows it. We've all heard about this terrible place. It says in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, Sodom paraded their sins around. Like, put them on parade, as you would in a parade. It's like, look at us. Look at how great we are. The type of sin that is happening here is vast. It's many types. Their wickedness was clear. That's what's clear in this passage. It's clear from other parts of Scripture. It's clear from extra-biblical texts about Sodom and Gomorrah. What this story is not about is, is homosexual sin. There's homosexual sin present in this story, homosexual abuse. There's also heterosexual abuse. If you guys were listening, you heard that Lot offered his daughters to an entire town of men to be raped. That's heterosexual abuse. And then at the end, there's heterosexual incest. So a lot of people traditionally can interpret this text as, as just like being about, oh, Sodom and their terrible sexual sins. Sodomy, that's where that word comes from. That's a very common interpretation of this passage. I want to present to you that that is not biblical, that you can't actually draw that conclusion from what's being said in the text. In fact, we have this amazing nugget in Ezekiel. Did you know that this is in here? Ezekiel tells us blatantly, God, through Ezekiel, tells us blatantly what the sin of Sodom actually was. Why it was so exceedingly grave. Listen to this. Ezekiel 16, 49 says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, they had abundant food, they had careless ease, and they did not care about the poor and the needy. Listen to that. You want to know what the sin of Sodom was? It's a lot closer to you than you may want to admit, than I may want to admit. The sin of Sodom did not have to do with these extreme things which are terrible and also wicked. But God is saying her sin was that she was arrogant and careless and did not care about the poor and the needy. Sin makes us so self-absorbed that we begin to look at other humans and objectify them. They no longer become human. They become a means for us to get what we want. Whether we do that deliberately and blatantly or we do it subtly. This sin is in us all still. Nevertheless, God says in Ezekiel, I will restore the captivity of Sodom. And this is where this becomes an unlikely story of redemption. Two things we learn from Sodom. One, it was wicked and messed up. We learn people are messed up. In case you haven't noticed, people are messed up. The second thing we learn is God has an immense willingness to spare wicked, 
things. His desire to spare Sodom was great. There's also a passage where Abram saves Lot from these kings. The, Sodom, the kings in that valley war each other. And God lets, gives Abraham favor to spare them all, to spare Sodom from destruction. Interesting. Why didn't God just let that play out there? Perhaps he was thinking, maybe I could still spare them. Maybe there's still time. Then God shows up, says, even though I've heard and seen all these terrible things, I want to go there and see what's going to happen. Then we have this incredible passage in Genesis 18 between Abraham and God. And listen, God's not saying in that passage where Abraham's saying, God, what if you found 50 people? What about 10? He's not caring about the numbers. It's not about numbers. He's saying, would you, he's not saying, would you take those 10 people out of the wicked city? That's how we could misread that text. That would be the just thing to do. There's really evil people here. There's 10 really good people. Let's save them. That's justice. God isn't just in that way because his love is greater than his justice. His mercy is greater than his justice. He says, oh, if there's 10 people, I'll spare tens of thousands on behalf of them. And this is a shadow of the gospel for us right here in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says in Ezekiel 33 that God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but even that the wicked would turn, that they would turn from their ways and live, he says, live. I don't take pleasure, I don't enjoy the death of wicked, even wicked people, but that they would turn. The prophet Isaiah says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. When you lift your hands to me in prayer, when you bring me your sacrifices, I don't want any of it. I don't care about that stuff. Wash your hands, make yourselves clean, because you're a hypocrite. If you're praying to me like that, if you're trying to do all this stuff, but you don't address what's going on in your heart, he says, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. There it is, their sin. Listen to this, come now, let us reason together. God is saying, Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be made white as wool. Did you know that that is in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah? Hebrews gives us a clue into this. The author of Hebrews says, throughout scripture we have glimpses of truth. Just glimpses, little nuggets, little pieces of the puzzle. But we don't have the full puzzle. We have these stories that can kind of confuse us about God and God's character, who he is. What does this mean? We have stories about humanity. What does this mean about humanity? What does this mean about our connection to each other? But it's all just a glimpse until, Hebrews says, until Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, there are no longer any glimpses. We now have the full truth. The full truth, it says that he is the exact imprint of God on earth. Jesus and the Father are not two separate people. Jesus isn't like, I'm going to fix all this stuff the Father did. I'm just going to clean that up for you, Dad. No, he's the exact representation of God. So we have to wrestle with texts like this in the light of who we know Jesus to be. And in Hebrews 12, we have this recap. After Hebrews 11, the great passage of all the people of faith. By faith, Abraham this. By faith, Sarah this. By faith, Moses. Really, by faith. Because Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, they lied. Abraham's pimping her out. Sarah's pimping out Hagar. Moses in there, David's in there. He raped someone, he murdered someone. 
Oh, is, they had faith? Interesting. I guess I'm doing all right then. <laughs> doing all right for myself. We should actually be encouraged by that list because it is disturbing, some of the things that those people did. But the thing that, sh- that made them different than Lot, made Abraham different than Lot, is that at the end of the day, Abraham still said, but God, what do you want me to do? And Lot hid in the cave, and Lot was like, I had like a thousand chances, but I'm still going to choose myself over God. Abraham looked at his brokenness and was like, oh, that was really stupid. I shouldn't have done that. God, what should I do? It says in Hebrews 12, because we have all these people of faith who were crazy, who did silly things, who did stupid things, but who at the end of the day embraced that they were broken and needed God. Since we have those people watching us, fix your eyes on Jesus. Take off the things that encumber you, that weigh you down. Jesus is who makes us righteous. I have a really messed up family, as do all of you. I'm just going to tell you that. Your families are very messed up if you haven't figured it out yet. Right now, I have a brother who's in rehab. We went to seminary together. He's also a pastor. It's been a very tough time with him. My family's crazy. We've realized how codependent we all have become with each other, with him, if you have an addict in your family. And sometimes there's these phrases we say that encumber us, that we don't even realize the depth of them. We say these things over us and they entangle us from running towards Jesus. Things I say, I'm, I'm really scared to see my brother when he gets out of rehab. I'm scared. I'm scared I'm going to keep failing in things that I think I'm failing in. I'm scared I'm going to keep disappointing people in my family. You might say things like, I'm depressed, I'm ugly. And what do we do to people is we, de- we reduce the gospel to this one-armed cross. It's what a, I had a friend share with me. We give them just one arm of the cross. Oh, you're a sinner and you're forgiven. Because Jesus died for your sins. Well, what does that mean? I'm ugly. You're forgiven. Oh, I didn't know I needed to be forgiven for being ugly. I'm depressed. You're forgiven. I didn't know I needed to be forgiven for being depressed. And this is a travesty to offer only this one arm, which is a true arm. If you do something wrong and you're, you're so upset with yourself and you have, you have blatantly done something wrong, you need forgiveness. But a lot of us will accept forgiveness. We'll say, oh, thank God that God forgives me for the way I just talked to my daughter. But we let, our, we let ourselves punish ourselves with the shame. We're like, but I'm going to hold on to this part. This shame I deserve. God, you don't know. Trust me, I deserve this. I deserve to feel terrible even though you forgave me. But this, this, my friends, is the depth of the gospel. It goes beyond what we think it is. That even the sins and shame of Sodom and Gomorrah, though they were scarlet, they will be made white as snow. That Jesus says, I'll get close to that. I don't just put on your sin like it's a backpack that I carry to the cross and nail on there. I just don't let it touch me too much because that's, that's too gross. He says, no, I will become it. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God. He became it. He absorbs it. So from the cross, he's saying, I'm ugly. I'm depressed. I'm scared to see my brother when he gets out of rehab. I'm scared that I can never repair the damage that I've done to my child. 
Jesus is saying that from the cross. Do you believe that? Because he allows himself to get dirty even though he's holy. And he says, I will so absorb you that even your shame I can heal. This side is forgiveness for your sins. This is healing for your shame. Even the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. It has to have somewhere to go. And if we don't bring it to Jesus, there is nobody who can take it for us. He's the only one. So I want you to stand up and receive a benediction. And hold out your hands just as a symbol that you're receiving. God, thank you that you showed us that you were willing to spare Sodom, Lord. And I believe that you just went there and saw, I cannot let this type of, this type of evil perpetuate. But God, help us to just keep wrestling with you on this. And now I bless you. Brothers and sisters, I bless you with the love of the Father who has always been, always will be represented through Jesus. I bless you with his love that he loved you into existence. That is why you're here. He had a surplus of love. And then he puts it on him to bring you faith. He puts it on him to bring you into right decisions in your life. It's not on you. And I bless you with Jesus, who perfectly represents his Father, who says, look at me if you ever get confused, if you ever forget. Look into my eyes as I hang on the cross, and I say the things that you say over yourself that encumber you, and I release you from those things because I curse myself with them until I die, and then I give you my resurrection instead. So I bless you afresh with that truth, the depth of the gospel. And then I bless you with the Holy Spirit who Jesus says, let me give you a helper who's going to help you remember this stuff. He's going to help you let go. He's going to be with you, close to you, not afraid of what you're going through. Help us to receive it now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.